This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Lord, clothe us with power from on high, the power to know you and have hope and serve you in the world. For Jesus' sake, amen. Welcome again to Church of the Ascension on Ascension Sunday. Uh, Though masked and recovering from COVID, I'm very glad to be here preaching on uh, the final day before my sabbatical. Now, as it is Ascension Sunday, let me draw your attention again to the enormous painting behind me, painted by Frederick Stimmitz Lamb, and the kids did a good job identifying its main features early. Now, I imagine Frederick painted with our gospel reading in mind, particularly this verse from Luke. Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. Now, I like this painting. I'm glad it's here. It's large and striking and distinctive. And yet, to me, it always has this air of unreality. It's just kind of unrelatable. Why? Is it the clothes, the beards, the angels, or the fact that Jesus is 10 feet in the air? Now, does anyone know when it was painted? It's uh, written on the inside of your bulletin. I'll tell you, 1918. So there would have been people sitting where you are looking at this painting in 1918. Now, what might have also been going on in their minds and in the world in 1918? The end of the First World War, which claimed 16 million, and the beginning of the flu pandemic, which claimed 50 million. A big tragedy. What does ascension offer? What does the ascension offer to those surrounded by tragedies? If you've been following the news since Tuesday, you know that 19 children between the ages of 7 and 10 and two teachers were shot and killed at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. What's the connection between the ascension and its strange unreality with their robes and fixed expressions and the families in Uvalde right now experiencing the living nightmare of opening closets of kids' clothes that won't be worn? Looking at school photos, the living subjects of which won't be heard again. What does the ascension offer to those suffering tragedies? For grieving parent or sibling or friend or daughter was sitting in your pew looking at that painting with their Bibles open, what might God say to them? And maybe you're here with your own loss 
and grief? What might God say to you? What does the ascension offer to those suffering tragedies? Turn with me to the epistle reading and Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. I mean, to summarize, he prays that they may know God in verse 17, have hope in verse 18, and then verse 19, listen, the immeasurable greatness of his great power for us who believe. According to the working of this great power, God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul's elegant image of Christ being seated at God's right hand in the heavenly places is is a reference to the ascension. Paul draws a straight line from the resurrection through the ascension to Jesus in the heavenly places, which is why our lectionary gives us this reading today. But I want us to see one word that Paul uses three times. Power. No, his great power for us who believe the working of this great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. As we begin to understand the ascension as a demonstration of God's power, we may begin to see what the ascension offers those suffering tragedies. Which is striking because when we suffer loss, we feel powerless. If you've lost someone and you want, you'd do anything to get them back and you can't. Powerless. So how does the ascension as a demonstration of God's power help? We'll unpack this in three time periods. Power in the past, power in the present, power in the future. First, power in the past, verse 20. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. If you've ever been next to a dead body, you know we are powerless in the face of death. But God is not. And over two billion people in the world today identify as Christians because they see God's power in the past raising Jesus from the dead. We celebrate that every Easter. We're reminded of it this morning. And he was studying the evidence of the resurrection that convinced a skeptical history student at Oxford that this is actually true, that Jesus is alive, this is real. But the ascension, how does that fit? Paul links the resurrection and the ascension. And he wants us to see God's power in the resurrection and see this power in this second uprising seating him at the right hand in the heavenly places. God's power in the past is seen in the resurrection and ascension. Now, why is Paul pointing this out? Why is he linking this? He wants us to grasp with confidence God's power in the present. Number two, God's power in the present. He prays, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. 
In other words, the same irresistible power that you see in their resurrection and ascension, that same power is directed to us with the intent that we know him and have hope. That same power that we might know him and have hope in the present. And it's the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised at the ascension that is God's present power for us. The Spirit who raised Christ, who seated Christ in the heavenly realms, who Christ sends for us who believe. The Holy Spirit is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe. And here's the significance. Think about this. If the Holy Spirit has the power in the past to raise Jesus from physical death to being physically alive, how much more right now does he have the power to make our spiritually dead hearts alive to know God? To know God who loves us, draws near to us, and empowers us to love others. If the Holy Spirit can make Jesus' physical heart beat again, he can most certainly make our hearts spiritually alive to beat again. Because if you're seated in a, seating in a pew devastated by loss, the greatest thing in that moment, what you need, is to know God alongside you. To know the presence of the good shepherd walking alongside you through the valley of the shadow of death. To know the Holy Spirit who intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And there's more. If the Holy Spirit can translate the physical Jesus from the earthly realm to the heavenly dimension, how much more can he move heavenly hope into our earthly hearts? Verse 18, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Today, do we have hope? Or frustration, sadness, loss, and despair? Do we know God, his presence alongside us, within us, or not? Because the good news is that God, our good shepherd, is willing and able to make himself known to us, to give us hope. If the Holy Spirit can make Jesus' physical heart beat again, he can make our spiritual hearts alive to the knowledge of God. If he can move Jesus from the earthly to the heavenly realms, he can move heavenly hope into our earthly hearts. And isn't that what we need? To know God and have hope. Now, what is our hope? Is it legal change? political change, culture change. We should campaign for legislation that loves our neighbors, especially the most vulnerable, be that babies in the womb or kids in school. But let's not believe the lie that if we just get the perfect laws and the perfect social engineering, then we'll all be happy and safe and flourishing. Because the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. 
Solzhenitsyn, born in 1918, wrote, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. So where should our ultimate hope lie? What could strengthen us to look to the future with hope and not despair? What might motivate us to use the gifts that we've given us to create gifts for future generations in hope despite the world being in turmoil? Where is our hope? Third, God's power in the future. In Luke's account of the ascension, in the book of Acts chapter 1, we read this. As they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up to heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The ascension is connected not just to the resurrection, but to Jesus' return, God's power in the future. I feel that kind of painting hints at that image. And after every sermon at Ascension, we don't just uh, wake up, we recite the Nicene Creed. These lines, on the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. His kingdom. That is our hope. When Jesus is on the throne. Because there is no hope in final justice in this world unless there is a final judgment. And there is no hope for people like us in that final judgment unless the judge first came down, died in our place, suffered the punishment we deserve and offers us forgiveness before ascending back to the throne. This same Jesus who ascended will return and then, in John's famous vision of that future great day, that perfect day, in which Jesus returns and his kingdom is realized, he writes, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them and they will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. What does the ascension offer to those suffering tragedies? We're reminded of God's power in the past. He raised Jesus. His power in the present, the Holy Spirit, gives us that knowledge of God, that holding on to hope as we know him, as we receive him, and that hope for the future, for when he will make all things new. As you look at that painting and as you reflect on these scriptures, what is God saying to you?
What questions might he be asking you? Will you receive me? Will you receive the Holy Spirit? Will you receive a greater knowledge of me? Will you receive the hope that I am holding out to you? Let me finish with these two stanzas from a, a Charles Wesley hymn. At least sung them at the 9 a.m. But listen to these words. Dark and cheerless is the morn, unaccompanied by thee. Joyless is the day's return, till thy mercy's beams I see, till they inward light impart, glad my eyes and warm my heart. And may this be our prayer. Visit then this soul of mine, Pierce the gloom of sin and grief. Fill me, radiancy divine. Scatter all my unbelief. More and more thyself display, shining to the perfect day. Amen.